0: Dad Bod History.
1: Mount Rushmore Part 2, American Inventors. Welcome to Dad Bod History where the drinks are cold and the takes are old. That's right. We are talking about what famous American inventors we would replace those dusty old presidents on Mount Rushmore with. But before we get into that, how was everyone's week? Got any stories from the dad front?
2: Yes. We uh it was spring break for us. And uh we did a couple of things, one of which we went to Universal Studios with the kids that lasted five hours. It was fun, but then they get tired. <clears throat> the second thing is we started watching the Marvel films with my kids because they haven't seen it. We, we've intentionally kind of not watched a whole lot just because we for content reasons. But we started watching. We watched all of phase one this week and uh, my son just got a kick out of it. And then we topped it off tonight with uh, Jurassic Park. So he'll probably be sleeping in our room tonight.
3: <laughs>
2: Is that scary <laughs> to kids? Apparently, I, you know, my uh, Oh, it's my terrifying. Wife, I get it. I, I saw it in sixth grade. My wife saw it. She would have been in fifth grade when she saw it. And she said, like, she was terrified. Of course, I saw The Exorcist and uh, The Blair Witch Project in college, and I was terrified. So I don't like horror movies, but. Um, my dad showed me The Exorcist when I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> and I slept in the basement
3: when I visited Dad's house. That's a true story. <laughs> Jeez.
2: So yeah. yeah, we we enjoyed watching those with them, and uh, you know, I had to edit out a few parts that were just a little too graphic in our opinion, and or maybe Tony Stark was getting a little too frisky with the ladies, and we just like, eh, we don't. I'm need sorry. To see are we still yet.
1: talking about Jurassic Park? <laughs> you keep bouncing here well
2: <laughs> uh, yeah i no one got frisky in jurassic park that i remember so then nick fury got his hand bit off and well, he was, was in jurassic I Park. i know he was that's the link <laughs> he got possessed by satan <laughs> so yeah that's awesome man that's how that went uh what about you cameron
0: so this is a little bit old but but um I took my son to, uh, Monument Valley not long ago. And, you know, it was just kind of a, a thing that as an Arizonan was on the list, but we didn't make it happen. Um, until, like I said, a couple of weeks ago, and it, it's a really unique place. Um, I was fascinated. I didn't know a lot about the, um, Navajo code talkers, wind talkers. Mm-hmm. And, um, You know, I, we went to the museum and kind of read about it and everything and kind of the stat of the weekend for me was, you know, circa 1942, there were only 28 people outside of the Navajo tribe that knew the language on the face of the earth. So what's a good way to communicate outside of, you know, Japanese control or or, uh, understanding, you know, go to this super remote place at the time. In southern Utah and pluck up, you know, some of those uh tribe members, so really cool historically placed, really cool, obviously, you know, ge- geographically. And my son and I had a lot of good conversations just about you know all this stuff.
1: What now was the Code Talker Museum in Tuba City?
0: Um. I I mean, there's several of them in the area. I mean, there's a lot of kind of side of the road type places, but there is a. um, There's one of the Wendy's.
1: Yes, (laughs) there is one. Yeah.
0: Um, We stayed at.
2: uh, (laughs) How many of you have been to the
0: museum in the Wendy's in Tuba City? (laughs) Oh, you guys are serious. Eric? We
1: are. Well, Eric and I, you went to we went together. When I moved to Arizona, we stopped at that Wendy's and there is a Code Talkers Museum attached to it
2: now. Uh, it's awesome. So because yeah. I've been there several times on uh, trips with a camp during the summer and we always stopped there on the way to Durango. But um, it's right across from like a uh, a place where they sell fry bread. Yeah. Does that sound good right? Yeah. You. And there's a fries around the corner, too. Yeah. It, it's yeah, in the it, Wendy's. Was, it was
0: really cool. You very unique part of the country and it's cool. Yeah, man. Up there. When, you, when you go there, you can, there's very few places I've been to that you can say, yeah, this hasn't changed in a hundred years, more or less. I mean, there's been very little change to that area. I was talking to, to one of the locals, one of the Navajo and they said, yeah, we don't have running water. We don't have electricity. Um, at our house they had to drive their truck in uh, you know truck their water in literally everybody had solar panels that were you know just just really small and third world country type um dwellings so it was like i said just lent itself to a lot of good conversation between me and my son like hey man we've got it pretty good
1: yeah i think my wife and i when we were driving um, back home from uh, when we were still in Arizona a couple of years ago, we were driving back home and we drove through Monument Valley and it's just stunning because you have like these vistas, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's flat and then you just see these huge rock formations just crop up out of nowhere and it's, it's really gorgeous. And mm-hmm. like you said, Cameron, even if you've lived in Arizona, there's a lot of people that live in Arizona that'll never see that. And it's really yeah. a detriment because it is... It's one of the highlights of the state, frankly. Oh, It's, it's classic
3: American West. I mean, it's mm-hmm. Monument
1: Valley. It's, it's
3: most John Wayne movies. It's all that mm-hmm. stuff. It's really yeah.
0: fantastic. Yeah, it was great. And it, weird fact, I was fascinated with the dirt there. Um, do you guys recall just picking up the dirt and it's the exact same uh, texture as baking soda? It's just red. So you pick yeah. it up and you kind of twist it in your fingers and it's just... weirdest thing I I spent a lot
1: of time messing with the dirt (laughs) (laughs) what is up with this guy he's just playing with dirt but (laughs) right (laughs) yeah that's cool you know the code talkers um it's one of those things like you said only 28 people outside of the Navajo Nation knew the language at all in the world and because of that I mean it was decisive in how Americans operated in the Pacific theater it was a huge part of the war, yeah. from what I understand. Yeah, I mean, they were instrumental to American victory. So it's it's mm-hmm. awesome. It's just one of those great stories that never gets talked to. It doesn't get the credit it deserves, really. So it's cool that you were able to share that with your son.
0: Yeah, it makes me want to watch the movie. Have you
3: guys seen the movie?
1: Yeah, a long time, it's a good ago. movie yeah
3: yeah it's good yeah I'll i mean around. anything with nick cage is always great so start with <laughs> that <Obviously>. and <laughs> Man, way it's back. always
1: historically accurate when it's got <laughs> nick exactly. <Cage> in it. <laughs> you never
3: know how about you jeff you got anything um well i'm a little older than you guys so i was on the uh phone with my daughter a couple of days ago and she says hey dad what are you up to i said well i'm at the airport she says where are you going so i'm going to vegas she says, what are you doing? I go, I'm just going to hang out with Ford and Clifford and Randy and just horse around for a couple of days. She goes, you guys mind if I come? I said, well, it's kind of a bachelor party, but like, what do you have in mind? She goes, well, no, we won't. Like, we'll just go out to dinner with you. So, okay, fine. So my daughter and her husband and my granddaughter flew out and hung out in Vegas. And uh, yeah, That's we had dinner so with cool. them. They didn't tag along the bachelor party, which is really just playing craps at Binion's. But um yeah. It was pretty neat. So
1: that's awesome.
3: But yeah, when your kids get older, it's not, uh, taking them to Wendy's it's they, uh, they find out you're going to Vegas and they meet you there. So. <laughs> that's so cool. It's <laughs> not so bad.
1: No, it's a good thing. It's awesome. awesome. Uh, so I got one real quick. Uh, my wife told me to tell you this because, um, we've been working on our house a lot the past couple months, um, doing a lot of work in the basement. Uh, now we are working on our yard. Um, ripping out all the grass in our front yard because we don't want to deal with it, basically. Um, But uh, when we were working on the basement, we poured a new slab in the basement, a concrete slab, and then we've added baseboards. So we went to Home Depot, bought these baseboards, put them in the back of the truck, but they were so long, they were just kind of flopping around in the back of the truck. So I had my wife go sit in the back of the truck and hold them down. And as we were driving back to the house, well, they were getting a little flappy. They weren't totally secure. So they were just flapping in the wind. And one of them snaps and just goes, and like almost hits her right in the head. And when we get back home, she's like, uh, you almost killed me. Uh, so I'm like, I had no idea. And she's like, yeah, look, half the sport is just gone. It snapped off and swung so by my head and almost did a car. It was a whole thing.
0: I, I'm curious as yeah. to why your wife wasn't driving. That was your job.
3: I yeah, asked or why her. she waited until that point to see you tried to kill me instead of when you said, Hey, get in the back of the truck. Honey. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> I think that's what me, I would have heard about it, it. Makes me feel bad. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's to be, to be fair. I don't know if this is fair, but I said, do you want to sit in the back of the truck or do you want to drive? And she goes, oh, I'll sit in the back. am like, okay. So
0: now that's the kind of question you need to ask at least
1: Four yeah, times. i didn't ask at her least. times. that's it are you sure yeah you ask her again after she's actually gotten in the back of the truck like how you it <laughs> out know, there yeah no i'll just get in the back that's on me that's my bad so she <laughs> she made sure tonight she's make sure to tell them that you almost killed me I'm like yes dear <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Someone tells tell me them. she's going to get
0: a lot of miles out of that in the coming yeah. years, too. Yeah, no, yeah, I don't know what you've
3: heard the end of this.
1: Yeah, no, I don't have many wins <laughs> on my belt anyway, and this definitely wiped out any any credit I had. So uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's get rolling and start talking about our topics. So uh, we're talking about Mount Rushmore uh, again, part two. So last episode we did, we replaced Jeff, the president. do I need to
3: call on you? Yeah, I have a question. Yeah. Um, You said this is episode two. I don't believe I've listened to or was a part of episode one. Do we need any recap here? Or? I'll give no. you a
1: recap. Yeah. So oh, we were. Oh, no playing. and a yes.
3: All right. This is <clears> episode
1: one. In episode one, uh, we swapped out the existing presidents with new presidents. So we said, all right, you got to get rid of Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and Roosevelt and replace them with four new presidents. So we did that. And it was wonderful. Um, somehow Calvin Coolidge did not make it on any of our lists. I thought he would I have know. been up there twice. Yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> and uh, just so this Calvin time, Coolidge. staying with this Mount Rushmore theme, instead of presidents, we are gonna say, what four American inventors would you put on Mount Rushmore? And they have to have been born in the United States of America, although they could have been born pre-1776. Oh, um, but that's not the United States of America. Yeah. You're just gonna have to deal here with my rules. Go. This is what happens. You let me make the outline. I get to decide the rules. So here we are. You had you had all of like four hours to look at that and change it. So um it's so got to be born in America. So no Nikola oh, Tesla. Oh, that is there. Okay. Sorry nuts. Yeah, it was there. Um, if you want to give a little background on their life and then kind of what is their signature invention or inventions. And uh, we're going to present our inventors in order of which president they were replacing on Mount Rushmore, starting with Washington, Jefferson, then Teddy Roosevelt, and then Lincoln. Uh, and however you replace them is up to you. I mean, if you want to do it based on animal magnetism, which one fits, the, <laughs> fits the, the chi of Washington the best. I don't know how you want to do it, but that's the order we're going in. You ready, Eric? Yeah. Okay. All right. So starting with Washington. So you're going to knock George Washington off Mount Rushmore. What famous American inventor would you replace with Washington? And uh, let's start with you, Jeff. Okay. I've had the least time to prepare, but I'm ready
3: somehow. (laughs) Um, I'm going, and I don't know what, I mean, first of all, we should just leave Washington alone, but that's fine. I I get the rules. Um, I'm going to go with Samuel Colt, who was in fact born in the United States of America. Once it was America uh, born in the early 1800s in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, I think that Samuel Colt's invention, I, I don't know a ton about the man, but the Colt revolver was a game changer. And oddly enough, it, had a hard time catching on so as we're all aware prior to the repeating rifle or the colt revolver you had to reload your musket a ball at a time and what did that take 45 seconds a minute to at uh, least yeah you had to reload that sucker so the colt was out there the army wasn't interested somehow it first gained traction with the um uh, with with the Texas Rangers as they were battling the Comanches. So the Comanches had this enormous advantage. They had learned how to use horses and weaponize horses to um, wildly effective point. And they could fire arrows at the rate of 10 a minute. they could do it from a horse while It was running. They could do it hanging from the side of a horse. They were extremely difficult to fight. And the Rangers found out about this repeating revolver. Now, back then, I don't know how familiar everybody is with how guns work, but the modern revolver, um, once you've spent all the rounds, you open it up, the revolver comes out of the cylinder, all the empty rounds come out, you load it with six new ones, and you close it up again. The original Colt revolver, you had to change out the entire circle. So... Hmm. Once it had all the rounds loaded into it, you pulled it out. So it actually, it probably took another minute to load yourself another six rounds, but that made your rate of fire six times faster. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to inventing this awesome gun that changed the West, I mean, the Comanches could have withheld the the white man for I, I, maybe forever without the revolver because prior to that, they were just winning. That's a fact of the matter. But anyhow, the revolver finally caught on. Um, he was also one of the first to use celebrity endorsements and product placement and mass marketing. So in addition to being a great technical inventor, he was also a pretty good showman. So he could sell the sizzle
1: along with the steak, which is so. very American. We're not just inventing stuff. We're going to market the hell out of it. And I think that's a big part of how you make your list here, but I, I like that. I, it says it was what the most famous gun in the world for a while, the Colt forty five. No, was, almost certainly, yeah. yeah. He, he also had another
3: uh, business venture making underwater mines. So, I don't Jesus. think those were quite as impactful in the development of the West. But just I don't know. He was a guy who was obviously into tinkering, had a lot of a lot of ideas, and but yeah, that Colt revolver definitely stuck he's famous for it and to jake's point yeah it's a it's a very american story from end to end so uh, for my guy to replace washington i'm gonna go with samuel colt good right, call
0: I like it. it um real quick i read uh i think chris kyle uh wrote the book but this was a couple years ago i read a book and it was like a history of some of the top five guns out there in history. And the Colt 45 was near the top of the list. Um, you know, M1 Garand in uh, world war two. Um, so in, anyway, really interesting. Cause like Jeff just took us through, it wasn't just about the gun itself. It was the story of it and what led to it. So I, I found that a fascinating book. I can't remember the name of it, but enjoyed it a lot.
1: I like it. Well, why don't you, why don't you go Cameron um,
2: with your pick? Who's, who's replacing Washington. So, what? Quick uh quick point of order. Um, how right how order. much do we want to keep this uh this time? We do two, three minutes. I you know, just we and mentioned we said two. a time limit. We can go over two. Let's do are, three. are
1: we all replacing every
3: president?
2: Yeah. Noted. All right, all right. Go I'll ahead, just put a timer on the side here.
3: All right. Okay. Um, so
0: anybody that went to school ever. Knows what I'm about to pick, because for some reason in school, this inventor is absolutely hammered. I'm not saying it's not a big deal, but if you went to school ever in the United States of America, you know who Eli Whitney is. The inventor of the cotton. Yes. And every history book gives an inordinate amount of uh, space in the book to Eli Whitney. So you know obviously that was a huge huge part of the economy in the south um in the in the slave era and really helped things helped the uh south go from a largely slave based economy to hey making more money making it quicker making that happen more efficiently and made a lot of people money in that mm-hmm. era as opposed to um old fashioned picking um with your hands so during that time in in America and we all know the story about the civil war and how the the north fought in very industrial they were known for their industrial ways and the south was known as largely agrarian this mm-hmm. kind of uh sped up history so that you know um the, the South was able to develop a lot quicker as a result of that invention. So um, pretty interesting when you think about it in the big picture.
1: Well, and the invention itself, the cotton gin was, it separated the cotton seeds from the actual cotton, right? I believe mm-hmm. that was, yep. so that's what sped up the the process. So they could do thousands of pounds um, of cotton a day or whatever it was. Um, and,
0: and if you've ever held a piece of cotton in your hand, you know, and, and actually try to do that by hand, um, I've actually literally pulled off on the side of the road and I was like, oh yeah, I've never really felt cotton on the actual plant. And Mm -hmm. it is shockingly hard to actually strip it off and takes
1: forever to do so. Yeah. My wife did the same thing when she was teaching. So she would, she would, when we lived in Southern Phoenix, there was those cotton fields. And so Mm -hmm. she would do the same thing. She'd pull off the side of the road, grab one of those wild cotton plants that was in the ditch, and take it to her students and say this is what the slaves had to pick apart and it like it was so difficult like mm-hmm. you, you really understand like trying to do that day in and day out in the sweltering sun would have just been awful. I mean just yeah. just the act of picking cotton would have been awful. Never mind all the other things that happen as a result of slavery in the South, but the cotton gin revolutionized that whole industry. Um and,
0: and you still needed people obviously to Separate the cotton still and and put it in the right place and that kind of thing. But as the reliance on slave labor was diminished tremendously, thanks to
2: that. But that's not actually the case. The invention of the cotton gin made cotton, uh, made it very much more efficient and cheap to make cotton and and cotton fabric from the plant, which meant that it became uh, a much more highly produced cash crop, which actually. Ended up increasing the reliance of the South on slavery. So the amount of slaves needed increased. Their work—they weren't their fingers weren't bleeding from picking the seeds, but they needed more slaves because there was more cotton because it was easier to produce. Mm. So it actually, you know, you you say, well, this will make it easier. So you know, you assume that you'll need fewer people when you have something more automated. What? the unintended consequence was you needed more people because you started producing 10, so 20 times as The plantations
1: got bigger
0: and <clears throat> you yeah. needed more labor. There was more work to do as a result.
2: So <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, like fantastic invention helped with the production of this necessary thing to this day, but there is an unintended consequence. Awesome. Um, I, I like that
1: take, uh, Eric. I, I, Remember hearing that, but I don't remember the details of that. So, yeah. um, but regardless, you're right. Eli Whitney Cameron is like you said, if you've ever been in school, you've heard of this guy. I'm like, who, where is he going with this? And I'm like, Oh yeah. Eli Whitney. So like the second, I'm like, Oh yeah. Duh. Because that isn't every American history textbook in, in. It is. School. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, I'll go, I'll go with my, my Washington. And uh, maybe this is on the nose, but I'm going with Ben Franklin. So born in 1706, so he was born before America was America.
2: Um, yeah, in, uh, in, what is it?
1: British. Sorry,
2: where? British, the British colonies. Yeah, that's right, okay. not
1: America. Oh, sorry, it <laughs> <laughs> was North America. <laughs> um. Anyway, some of the things he invented were the lightning rod. Um, bifocals, swim fins. So he invented the fins that you know help you swim faster. So hmm. I thought you'd like that, Cameron. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, because as we all know, Ben Franklin was a very good swimmer. The guy, was, swimmer. The guy was built for the pool. Um,
2: <laughs> Michael Phelps of the colonies. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: he invented the Franklin stove, which is a more efficient way of heating your home, and it you know uh, less smoke in the house. Was able to vent the smoke out of the roof more efficiently and um he also invented the catheter like the urinary catheter which i can't imagine a 1700s catheter being comfortable in the least um but he invented it so because man those things are just silky smooth now yeah that's what i'm thinking like (laughs) today in the 21st century they're not great i can't imagine what he was i don't know i don't even want to think about it anyway The guy, he was a true Renaissance man in the stuff that he invented Um, from lightning rods to um, musical instruments to bifocals. I mean, the guy just did it all. And he's probably he's the only founding father that wasn't president that everybody thinks was president. So he's just he's at the top of the list there.
2: All right. Uh Eric, do you want to go? So uh yeah. Um <clears throat> last time you mentioned something about the reason those presidents were picked Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and Roosevelt. Yes. Uh, and Washington, because he was there for the birth of the nation, is the reason he's up there. So I had to go with somebody with an inventor who similarly had was kind of born with the nation and I also chose Benjamin Franklin. He's an inventor who was part of the American founding. And a lot of his inventions, like Jake listed all those, were part of the early American experience. So uh, I replaced Washington with Benjamin Franklin as well.
1: All right. All right. Well, that leads us to Thomas Jefferson. So,
2: Eric, since you went last uh, with Washington, why don't you go first this time around? All right. Uh, So similarly, um, Jefferson, he is associated with the growth of the United States in that, you know, he expanded the United States by like 100% by adding the Louisiana Purchase and part of the expansion of us across the uh, North American continent. So I had to choose somebody that also contributed to America's growth. Uh, And originally, I did have somebody who may not have been born in the United States. Hmm. But uh, I'm going to go with Thomas Edison. Um, Thomas Edison, who was born in Ohio um, and spent a lot of time in making this laboratory, this uh, invention facility uh, in Menlo Park, which is uh, that Menlo Park. There's I think there's now a Menlo Park in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Menlo Park was the Cupertino, right, of the 1900s. Yeah. But there is now a Menlo Park in like south of San Francisco as well. And it's named for. Don't this sense. menlo park which was this like research facility <laughs> right um you know we know him as this prolific inventor um you know the electric light bulb electric light power distribution all of those things contributed to the growth um what else do we have things like rechargeable rechargeable battery um and kind of even some of the first uh, motion pictures. So he contributed to all these things that were going to be instrumental in the growth of the United States. And so I chose him because he fits that same theme as Jefferson. So Edison. All right, I'll go. Um, I also
1: picked Thomas Edison for this. Uh, Slightly different reason. Uh, Jefferson uh, is probably of the four presidents on Mount Rushmore, he's the one that's under the most revision or criticism today because of his legacy as a slaveholder. And Edison, likewise, um, catches a lot of flack because a lot of people say, well, he stole people's patents, his very public fight with uh, Tesla, and uh, the way that he would bankrupt his competitors. And so people look at Edison, they say, well, you know, he stole all these inventions. Like, well, he was still an inventor. He still had like, 1000 patents of his own and you can say that you know he pushed people out or or bankrupted uh competitors and stuff like that but that's america baby like <laughs> we don't play nice um mm-hmm. and so by edison doing that it, it i think kind of fits that jefferson being the, the the historical take on jefferson the historical take on edison is undergoing a lot of revision and a lot of um correction or or just fresh eyes and so i I think it fits there but he also he was an incredible inventor um as you said like the light bulb the phonograph um the first moving camera the you know he updated the telegraph he updated the telephone like a lot of people would invent stuff and then he would just make it better his invention would be making the thing that was invented better um and so yeah I, i got edison All right.
0: Yeah, not to to ruin the suspense, but I'm going to take Thomas Edison as well. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to revise history once something is said. Once something is out there, you can't really take it back as as well because it's already been discussed and it's already been widespread. So yes, um, you know, was much like was the
2: early part of this recording tonight. Can't take it back. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's out there. <laughs> so i
0: mean he was tesla maybe a a more intelligent guy yes i mean that guy was an absolute genius but he wasn't the businessman he wasn't the marketer that edison was um he he was a capitalist like you guys said and he really benefited from that in his name you know um literally there are entire power companies named after the guy in, in southern california i mean southern california edison is ubiquitous all throughout there i mean every Mm -hmm. single town in california is called you know has southern california edison as their power company um so yeah and, and there's something to be said too for um taking something and making it better um sometimes it's not the most uh inventive guy or the most uh biggest dreamer or whatever, it's, it's the practical, that guy that can say, Hey, this telephone is not working quite as well as it could or should let's tweak it and improve it and make it better and, and make it a lot more widespread. Um, sure. when, when I think about Edison too, I think about the, uh, the famous quote that, you know, so many of us know applies to inventing applies to life. Um, you know, I want my kids to be able to think like this. And it says um, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Mm -hmm. So cool. So poignant applies to so many different things. And,
1: you know, I, I need to think more like that. Sure. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. It's a great outlook is, you know, you only fail when you quit. Mm -hmm. Everything else is, is part of growing and learning. And I think that's a good outlook on life. Amen. All right, Jeff, are you got anybody different or is
3: it going to be an Edison sweep? Nope. I'm going Jonas Salk born 1914 in New York city, famously invented the polio vaccine, which, um, I didn't realize how recently polio was a problem that vaccine didn't come out until 1955. Um, that's inside of my, my mother's lifetime. So, Um, My favorite thing about the Jonas Salk story is um, he clearly invented the vaccine. He was the man behind the research. His name was all over it. He deliberately declined to patent the vaccine so that it could speed production and distribution around the world. Mm -hmm. Declining to do that probably cost him and his heirs in the neighborhood of seven billion dollars um after the fact one of the organizations that he worked with went back to try to patent it after the fact but uh based on law that i don't understand called prior arts they were not able to so the polio vaccine uh, remains deliberately unpatented to this day so is that a real number seven billion concept it's an estimate but yeah i I did find an article that that estimated that yeah he left and that's just what he left on the table that's not like Pfizer or whatever company would have done it. That would have been his end of the wow. polio vaccine, which has been used around the world. That's not eradicated yet. Polio isn't, but they expect it to be soon, and all due to that man. And polio was a big deal back then. And so, and that
2: that was
1: a disease that struck children, yeah, in much greater numbers.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, well,
1: and before then, a lot of the treatments were like the iron lung,
2: yeah, which
1: that's how you dealt with polio. Yeah. It struck primarily children and presidents. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> we know of one. Yeah. So that's you know an my, interesting concept, you know, a disease that is so prevalent and so like destructive that when you get a vaccine, you're just like, Nope, everybody needs it. We're not here to make money off this. So what a concept. My, my uncle had polio. Um, he was,
1: coming home from school with his brothers. So like my dad and, and his other brothers, and they shoplifted from like a local corner store. And when they were running out, like stole some candy or whatever it was, they are running out of the store. The shopkeeper is chasing them. My uncle gets hit by a car and goes to the hospital. And when they go to the hospital, the doctor's like, Oh yeah, you also have polio. Oh my and, God. Yeah. <laughs> and he recovered from it. So it, I, I think it, a lot of people think, like, well, once you get polio, it's like a death sentence. And it's not, but it did kill millions. Like, And so my uncle was able to recover from it. He started running. Um, there was a lake by his house. So he just run around the lake every day um, as a way to to stay strong. But he had polio, but he was able to recover from it. But what, what year would this have been if you had to guess? Uh, it would have been in the late 50s. So right after the vaccine came out. All right, And so... That was the thing. Is like up until then, because he was born in the forties. I think he's born in forty nine. So up until then, um, you know, like, could you imagine having a kid and the doctor saying you have polio and like yeah. trying to deal with that as a parent and and obviously deal with it as a kid? Like it would have been like, oh God, is my kid going to die? Is he going to be in an iron lung? And then after the fifties, because of Salk, the whole outlook changed, and now. Yeah just get a shot in the arm and you're okay.
2: Yeah. It
3: seems so long ago. So here it is one generation prior to you. It bit your family.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I had a teacher in grade school whose daughter was in my class and he had polio as a kid and it caused Hmm. him, he needed like, uh, he had to like get braces on his legs yeah for a while and he got sent away from the catholic school ended up at the lutheran school because they would take him they'll take anybody they will lutherans
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right um uh camera why don't you go first this round so we're replacing teddy roosevelt you can go with
0: so i i think the one that sticks out you know outdoorsman uh national parks guy very big on um you know enjoying he's a rough rider he's a tough guy he was a um soldier samuel colt so um jeff kind of already went through it but uh i don't think that our country looks the same today without the invent of the colt 45 um like jeff said the the natives probably would have held off um, you know the the settlers a little bit longer, maybe indefinitely. And you know, how much differently would uh, those people have been treated? you know you you look at and another thing about my monument valley trip is you know you look at a lot of different groups of people who have been, um, wronged over the years and over the centuries and, and whatnot. And it's not a contest, but, um, the native American people in this country and what they have endured and what they continue to endure has Mm -hmm. been a travesty. Um, just in talking to, you know, I had a great conversation with one of the Navajos at four corners and to hear him talk about, um, What's happened for generations there? Yes, you know the idea of reservations and putting all of the the Indian people on a reservation in exchange for hey free housing for life and here's this house that you get to live in for free. But a lack of ownership there um, really is a great way to hamstring a people for generation after generation. Because how do you build wealth? you know, not always, but a great way to build wealth is through real estate. And you can pass that along to next of kin. And, um, you know, for, for people that aren't able to own anything and the the BIA owns everything on the reservation, um, really, really sad. So I, I know I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but that was an absolute huge change for history in the,
1: uh, you
0: know, treatment of the native people
1: well and, and like you said if without the Colt 45 and it not been adopted by the texas rangers uh, maybe the native tribes don't win whatever that is but they're able to sue for better peace terms and mm-hmm. to keep more of their sacred land and not be pushed onto the reservations um, mm-hmm. that are literally the worst pieces of property you know around there's no resources there's no right you know, nothing like that so uh, the Colt 45 in that regard, it absolutely reshaped the map for Western America. Um, but one of the consequences of that is many, many Native American tribes suffered greatly as a mm-hmm. result of that. And like you said, still suffer today. Um, so it's it's a it's only a lot of these inventions like they're great for technology and progress in one regards but they can be awful in some other regards. Oh, there's
3: always unintended consequences. Yeah. There's always a yeah. there's there's a dark side to most of this stuff.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, and uh, and I think that's one of the cool things about history is um you understand kind of the other side of it and the dark side of it or the unintended consequences like you talked about and I say this all the time, but I have a tendency to oversimplify things. And oh, you know, if I was living in that time, why why didn't I, you know, why didn't sure. they just do that? Or why didn't the Jews stand up to the Nazis? Or why didn't the um you know Native Americans say, no, I'm not gonna do this? And it's it's way more complicated than that. Um, when you look at not just the invention itself, but what it led to and, and how it's what, used, how it's yeah. shaped today.
1: Yeah. All right, God. good pick. Um
2: Eric, why don't you go next? So we're replacing Theodore Roosevelt, right? Yes. At sir. this point. So um, he is associated with the development of the United States. And so I had to, I had to kind of dig around for someone that I thought would be really great at kind of like, like developing something that's new, something that's like gonna grow us into the next area. One of the people that came to mind was Steve Jobs, but technically he's not much of an inventor. He didn't do a lot of the inventing. Uh, he Steve told Wozniak. other
3: people what to invent.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and he knew what needed to be invented or how it could be marketed, like that's part of it. Steve Wozniak was another person. Bill Gates, you know, these are people who invented some things, created some things. So I was like, you know what? I'm kind of in that arena of computers. So I'm gonna go back to somebody very, very special. And that is Grace Hopper, Rear Admiral in the United States Navy. Um, she served during World War II. But what she did in World War II um, and shortly thereafter was she helped develop the first computers, the first ones that they made, um, the ones that they developed. You know, She was a mathematician, the ones that they developed uh, at the end of World War II. Uh, she created a compiler, which helped bring the code together. But the most important thing she probably did was she invented COBOL. COBOL, which is computer, sorry, Common Business Oriented Language, she opted to write to create a computer code, a language that was based on English rather than machine code or um, assembly languages. So that means you you would use words in the code that were based on English, like compile or uh, if then statements, and so basically every computer language we have today is stems from cobol and without what without her work um the united states does not become the jumping off point for computer science and computer development in the way that it did so um i forgot it's a couple incredible. background things she was born in the united states in new york city um, she is buried at arlington national cemetery As she should. And she also uh, found the first bug, not the first bug, but the first bug. um, When they're working on a Mark II computer at Harvard. She found the moth that was actually in that inside the computer and uh, debugged it. And that moth is now on display at the Smithsonian. That was the first computer bug was a moth. Yep. So they had used the term bug before that. But that kind of popularized it. So, all right. What is her name? Grace Hopper.
1: Grace Hopper, rear admiral. When was she Grace a rear Hopper. admiral? Like, what was it during uh, World War II or after?
2: So she, deep to Frank, she was a rear admiral from um, 1983 to 1985. Oh, okay. so she was in the Navy for a long time she, uh, During World War II she received a rank Of lieutenant junior grade O2 She was a lieutenant after the war Lieutenant commander in 1952 Commander in 1957 Captain in 1973 So So
1: not only she was inventor, But she's was a,
2: a pioneer In the Navy for women Yeah And she has a lot of awards Yeah <clears throat> uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom, Legion of Merit, um, Meritorious Service Medal. She's got a bunch of other awards, dozens based on engineering and uh, mathematics. She has a ship named after her, the USS Hopper. Um, It is a... Trying to find out what kind of ship this is. It is a destroyer. Yeah, that's okay. right. Awesome.
1: All right, so uh, I'll go next. So I got Madam C.J. Walker. And uh, her original name, her birth name was Sarah Breedlove. Uh, but she was born in 1867. She's an African-American woman. And um, so she was born just a couple of years after the Civil War had ended. Uh, both her parents died by the time she was seven years old. So she moved to St. Louis, um, with her four brothers and her four brothers worked in a barber shop and they were barbers. And so she worked as a laundress, I believe she, as a washer. And, um, during her time in St. Louis, watching her brothers, um, one of the big issues though, facing a lot of black men and and black women particularly was there was no hair care products for them. Um, that just didn't exist in the United States. And so what she did was she invented, um, these, these shampoos and conditioners and creams to basically, it was specifically for um, African-American black people's hair and it would help their hair um, from having dandruff. It would help it from falling out. It would keep it healthy and strong. So then you could style it. And she became the first African-American self-made millionaire uh, in the right. United States in history and uh she died in 1919 um but she was a millionaire and then this Madam C J Walker company I think it continued to exist up until like the 90s um <clears throat> but she was a legacy uh and I think you know we talk a lot about you know if you if you work hard and if you you know have a good idea or or know how to do something well you'll succeed in America and she is um she kind of epitomizes that, that idea and that virtue that we, we hold. And I I just think it's a great story. Um, you know, she didn't invent a lot of things like Edison, um, but something she did invent transformed the lives of millions of newly freed African-Americans, um, throughout the United States and made their lives better. And I think that's a, that's a really great way to, to look at this thing. So Madam CJ Walker.
2: Good pick. Yeah. I've read that story before. That's a good one. Uh, okay. Jeff, who's your Teddy. All right. I'm um,
3: going really need a little more room on Mount Rushmore. Cause I can't replace Teddy with just one man. And I can't figure out which of these two men gets more credit. So I'm going with Orville and Wilbur, Wright. They, uh, they introduced flight to humanity in 1903. Um. Beyond just the original glider, which they had, one of their big developments was the three-axis control system, which allowed basically operation of all the different directions of flight that you needed to control an airplane. Um, something similar to my my little talk about Colt, same thing here. The US military could not conceive of a need for flight. So they were not interested in the it's in your crazy. little airplane as they called it. I don't know <laughs> if they actually called it that, but they probably did something dismissive, like you're a uh, nice little airplane there or something. Um, anyhow, they didn't want it. They The Wright brothers tried for years in vain, and eventually they caught interest over in Europe, and they were about to sign an exclusive deal with the French to develop this into the first French Air Force. Uh, then the American military got interested um the u.s government wrote legislation to basically force them to sell it to the u.s military and they came back and did but
1: we don't um, want it but we sure as heck don't want the french to have it first right that's (laughs) that's really what it came down to well somebody
3: else wants it now we want it yeah we've all seen that (laughs) so anyhow um i know my mount rushmore is gonna have to get a little bigger but uh we'll 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 get them nice and close together i was wondering
1: if somebody was going to pick the Wright brothers how they were going to shoehorn that in yeah no i'm just gonna make up my own rules that's no all i think that's fair yeah. see if
2: we could sell this podcast to the
3: french army
1: well <laughs>
3: <laughs> they called me recently they're like us.
1: it i think and what's <laughs> great Hear though that. is i think Hintagone. a lot of those a lot of those early planes um the air force you know in world war one was pilots with colt 45s shooting them out the sides, (laughs) popping them off at each other. Like that's literally what it was. (laughs) Like how, all right, how do we arm these planes? I just give them a six shooter, I guess. And we'll figure it out from there. And grenades just (laughs) drop
2: the grenade out. It'll hit the ground. And and
3: prior to that, it's not like the U S military didn't realize at least some of the advantages because they used Hutter balloons and they would get real time data on what troop movements were doing in certain areas with, you know, info from Hutter balloons. So I just can't imagine why it was such a stretch to, to see that. They were really,
1: they were really big into boats. They didn't, they, they spent all their budget on boats that year. That's what it was.
3: (laughs) I think much like the Navy. Now the Navy then was uh, probably the big boy on the block.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, well, all right, so let's go. Um, so now we're at Abraham Lincoln, and uh, let's start with you again, Jeff. Who, who's who's okay. replacing
3: Lincoln here? Um, well, I, I didn't really realize this until you were, uh, or I guess a couple of you guys are going through some of your uh, picks. But I'm going to close this out with yet another white male. So I'm going with <laughs> with Willis Carrier. Okay. Who, uh, he invented air conditioning, and this didn't happen. Hmm. The first electric air conditioning didn't happen until. 1902 he was trying to fix an an interior air pollution problem at uh, the, at a company who hired him to try to sort all this out and through all of his research and development he ended up uh, developing what
1: would become uh, air conditioning and he thought didn't... it was at a it was like at a library or some sort of archive because it was so humid that it was at the Sackett Wilhelms lithography and publishing company that's what so, it was and so it was ruining the paper and so that's where like mm-hmm. we need to get someone here to draw the the moisture out of the air i had to get the moisture out of the air that's right so uh, you got the moisture out and managed to condition
3: the air and cool things down but once they developed a system for for, for residential use in the 20s it greatly sped development and um people moving to the american south and the american west so um he's a man that we don't think of much i mean we see the name carrier on a lot of air conditioners but um, i think he was huge in the in the development of this country in some places that in all honesty, would be really hard to live in there's a bar down in austin and they've left their sign up above the door. It says uh, "air conditioning inside." So, I don't think the sign's that old. But if you've ever been to Austin in the summer, that would be the only
1: place you would want to drink. So, well, all of us being Phoenicians at one point or another, Phoenix does not become whatever the fifth biggest city in the country mm-hmm. if were it not for indoor air conditioning. Nope. Yeah, and Phoenix, I
3: mean. Fun fact, uh all of the cement and concrete actually makes it much worse. Um, if you're out yeah, if you're out in a rural area and away from all that, it actually cools down relatively well at night. But if you're in a residential area or anywhere near Sky Harbor Airport, forget it's about it. It's so not cool at all. Yeah. The the, the, the yeah. weathermen in Phoenix call Sky Harbor they they call it the heat island. So it literally radiates enough heat from Sky Harbor, all that concrete and all that tarmac affects the vast majority of the city, if you can believe hmm. that. I, I can. can.
1: Yeah, I absolutely
2: can. Because <laughs> yeah, we've all lived there. Yeah. <laughs> well, before before the electric air conditioning, especially in the Southwest, what you would do is you'd have your open adobe house and you'd take a blanket, you'd soak it in water and hang it in front of the door. And the, the air, would, the wind would blow through. It would cool in the water mm-hmm. and cool you off. Well, that's a that's a swamp cooler. Mm-hmm. Right, and so that doesn't work all the time, but it does work when it's, I guess, what dry it's out. There is a the breeze. It works well in dry
3: areas. That's right. Yeah. So
2: the American South, they the the
3: swamp cooler did not work. That evaporative cooling mm-hmm. didn't work down there. Not
2: in Alabama. Mm.
3: Not so much.
1: Guess not. <laughs> I haven't spent all a lot right. of time there, but I think you're right. All right, Cameron. Why don't you uh, hit us with who you're going to replace Lincoln with?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I. Abraham Lincoln is probably widely considered the number one best president. I mean, there's incorrectly, it's, it's arguable.
1: Oh my, it's gosh, arguable, Eric.
0: but that was a <laughs> difficult time in American history. He handled about it as well as anybody could. So, um, you know, I think about an invention that solved problems that we didn't even really know that we had yet. Um, when the Apple II computer came out for widespread use in the American home, um, yeah, it was kind of a gimmick and, you know, only super rich people had it. And, you know, maybe if you're really techie, you would get one. And people thought, ah, now this will never, ever catch on. But now it was the precursor to all of the things that a computer and that a phone can do. And, you know, I don't have to to tell you guys how much that has all changed our lives that bod history would not exist if it weren't for steve wozniak and um Harris, the, the thought the things that that he did but you know and we talked about before maybe he was a little less talented as a marketer but he was a genius when it came to ideas i guess it takes a steve jobs to put that together and market it and, and put it out into the world but without steve Wozniak. Um, our lives today would look a lot differently um, than they do now. Everything, you know, it, it's it's amazing. Uh, prior to this podcast, um, I was texting you guys in a panic, like, hey, I've, I've got to go get a, a new router. I don't have internet. I'm dead in the water here. And it was shocking how many times my wife and I said, oh, this is a hassle. And we were without internet for an hour, maybe two and um
1: how do we live yeah.
0: exactly it was like we were camping in our own house and and i'm not <laughs> the type of person that spends a lot of time on his phone and why and are you lighting a fire kind of thing i feel like no i TV. am less reliant on the internet than most and it was amazing i went two hours about the internet today and i almost died so um steve wozniak is a huge huge
3: inventor You look a little peckish. You should, I I think you should do a little surfing just at the end of this episode to get all caught up. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you. I I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't, my (laughs) Facebook feed,
0: it's all messed up. So (laughs) thank you for for that. LeBron is in the news.
1: Yeah, I've got got to catch up
0: on my LeBron gossip.
1: All right. Um, I'm going to go next because uh, my guy has already been picked. I'm going with Jonas Salk as well i think you cure polio you should be on a mountain because it saved millions of lives uh, i don't think we need to revisit how incredibly important the polio vaccine is again um but Jonas let's talk
3: so- about curing it for free yeah i know he, he gave up generational
1: wealth billions mm-hmm. to, Usta. To, do, to, to do the right thing Who's the family that got the Sackler family with the, the Sacklers, opioid crisis? Yeah. And they 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 were able to somehow keep all their billions after basically expanding the opioid crisis to what it is today, and all those people died as a result of it. Yeah,
3: and 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 now we got these a holes at Moderna and Pfizer who won't even share the patent with
2: other countries.
1: I know, and and, and they yeah. didn't even
2: pay oh no, for but the thing they have enough money to sponsor the Oscars.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, the the U.S. government. Paid for the development of the vaccine and then paid for and wrote of legislation of doses. so they
3: couldn't be sued no matter what. Yeah, and they mm-hmm. made 40 billion. Most, most, uh, oh, not that,
2: not before everyone in Congress was able to buy stock in those. Oh, companies. yeah, well, <laughs> <course you> gotta- <laughs> well and,
3: and usually when these, when these big pharma companies come out with a new drug, they spend about it's more than half of the money on marketing and litigation mm-hmm. protection, and they had mm-hmm. none of that, they had 40 yeah. billion free and clear last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Jonas Salk just did the right thing. He's a genius, took a huge problem and just wanted it to be more effective quicker. So
2: God bless that
1: man. Amen. All right, uh, Eric, you uh, round us out on our Mount Rushmore. uh,
2: At this point, we're going to get some repeats. Lincoln was chosen for Mount Rushmore because of his preservation of the union. And so under preservation, I also put Jonas Salk, Uh, He did something that saved not just a lot of people, but possibly an entire generation um, from this pandemic. And rather than rehashing some of the things we talked about, there's two things I want to bring up, two quotes of his. Um, One is he said, it is courage based on confidence, not daring. And it is confidence based on experience because he tested the vaccine on himself, his wife, and his three sons. Mm. Like, wow, we're going to human trials, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Confident <laughs> enough in a the fact that it would work, but also that there wouldn't be. Side effects, that would be a problematic. Yeah, that's amazing. The other quote of his was he was answering Edward R. Murrow, who said, who owns the patent in this vaccine? And he said, well, the people, I would say there is no patent. Could you patent the son? And I, gosh, there's something about, I haven't done a lot of research on this guy in general, but after this conversation, it is (laughs) physically frustrating to have a conversation about a person who would say, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do and it's for the good of the people. That's enough. Well, and you talk about virtue, Eric, right? The virtue that we want our leaders to embody. It's like,
1: Jonas Salk is that. He's mm-hmm. this man that embodied this selfless virtue for the betterment of the country. And it's not because he wasn't a capitalist or he was a socialist. He's like, I see a problem. I want to fix this need. And I want to help people. Like, that's, that should be the only motivation we have. Like, I think that's what makes him so honorable,
0: you know, I, I would be curious to see, you know, how he did financially, just in general. Cause I, I know for instance, Nikola Tesla died, in poverty, really, mm-hmm. um, because he lacked the business acumen to really think ahead. I'd, I'd be curious to see where Jonas Salk was.
1: Well, he had an institute. Um, and then later on in his life, he lived, I think, until the 90s um, oh. when the AIDS epidemic started in the 70s and 80s. He actually also tried to use his institute to uh, to find a vaccine for AIDS. Obviously that has not happened yet, but, um, he was still active very late into his life and seemed like if he wasn't rich, he was at least taken care of. Um, but yeah, I I don't know what his net worth was when he passed away
2: was not $7 billion. That's for sure. Well, here's the thing. When you talk about legacy, will people remember you by your net worth or your value? Right. So his value is through his action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His net worth. Uh, I mean, you could tell me somebody else's net worth and I might say, uh, OK, I don't they don't they have no no bearing on my life. <laughs> outside of that. But Jonas Salk, his value was in what he did and how he did it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. A great way to end that segment. Sticking with our theme of inventions, I have a couple of would you rather questions. And what these are is, um, what American invention would you rather live without? So for this exercise, all subsequent inventions still exist. Just this particular one is removed. So for example, if the car was never invented, but planes and spaceships and moving sidewalks were, that that would be what you were living in, that you're living without the car. Um, so for my first, would you rather, would you rather live without, and I think this is very timely since Cameron was just talking about this, would you rather live without the telephone, which was invented in 1876 by, uh, Alexander Graham Bell, or would you rather live without the internet, which I'm saying was invented in 1967, um, as part of ARPANET by the department of defense. So... Which one, Cameron, the telephone or the internet? Which one are you removing from your life?
0: I 100% the telephone.
1: Yeah.
3: 100%. Well, now, of course, but what about in the two hours ago?
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you would ask me at lunchtime,
3: <laughs> totally. No, different. in the 90s when it was just email and dial up and
0: Yeah, that's a good call. You know, when I was in high school, I remember we got the dial up internet and I thought email was dumb and I thought, you know, why would I do this? And now I send a hundred emails a day. Um, Yeah, I, I, obviously the internet has become a lot more capable now than it was. So that's a good, good question is, you know, right at the advent of the telephone or right at the ad advent of the internet and then you're getting into apples and oranges but um yeah i mean just the upside of the internet and all the things that and the great thing about the internet is there's things that are going to be invented or thought of that we don't we don't even we can't even conceive yet when it comes to the internet
1: okay anybody else have a different one
3: no, I, I, I don't think it's even close. I mean, hey. what, 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 what the internet has done. I mean, imagine the stuff that we can do now and 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 do on a regular basis. That you just it was okay,
1: okay, but okay, just just bear with me. Okay, one of the greatest things about pre-internet life was when somebody said, "Hey, who is in that movie?" And then you'd spend twenty minutes discussing with your buddies about who's in that movie. <laughs> Whereas today, now that we live in the internet, and say, "Hey, who's in that movie?" Well, give me five seconds to look it up on Google. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things I appreciated about pre-internet life was that there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more fluidity to BSing and telling tall tales because you couldn't get fast checked true. constantly. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you're so sitting in a bar and someone says, Oh, Steve Jobs ate his first two children. Like, yeah. what? Really? <laughs> Look yeah. it up. Like, no, he didn't. But, but otherwise I just, you go home that night, and I go, God, guess what I found out about Steve Jobs? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I
0: it's funny you say that, Jake, because I, I remember so distinctly we were in college and a bunch of buddies are sitting around watching football. And we all had our fantasy football teams with our mm-hmm. laptops on our laps as we were watching the game. And we are looking at our laptops more than we are looking at the TV. And I said aloud, how weird is this? None of us are watching the game. It's like, yeah, huh. And then, you know, we're going hey, back were right to our back computer to it. and Hey, I'll, I'll trade you this guy for that guy. It, it was just, it was a surreal experience. I could tell you where I was sitting um,
3: when that happened.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's totally true.
3: Yeah, you're um, onto something because it only got a thousand times worse since yep. then. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, next question: uh, Would you rather live without the plane, which, as we've said, was invented in 1903 by the Wright brothers, or the standardized shipping container, which was invented in 1956 by Malcolm McLean? And if you don't know what the standardized shipping container is, the reason that we are able to do so much transport and cargo. Um, via shipping lanes and trains is because all the shipping containers are the same size, uh, regardless of what is in them, um, which has made shipping wildly more efficient uh, across the world. Uh, obviously, the plane, we all know what the plane is and, and how valuable that is. So, Eric, let's start with you. Which one would you rather live
2: without? So, the plane or the shipping <laughs> container? This is tricky because my dad was a pilot. Yep. So that would... He always said uh, for the longest time he wanted to be a park ranger, but but he failed. So he became but a pilot a pilot
1: was his fallback. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, uh, you know, if, if there's no plane, my dad obviously does something. up. He, he, he would have done something. He would have been fine. Um, but I look at this and I think of. Man, everything I have has come to me through a shipping container, like everything. There's very little that I own or I have ever owned that has not come to me by way of shipping container at some point. And that has eased the cost of transportation. It has made the ability to move things. It's made it so that I can order something on my phone and have it two days later. Um, Without the plane, though, we'd still have good transportation, probably have a better rail system. Much better. However... Part of me wants to get really deep into this and say, I'd like to see what life would be like if I depended on my locality for all my goods. Mm-hmm. Like If I had to depend on, on on people, a craftsman within my county to supply most of what I own. Part of me wants to do that, but it's going to be plain. So you would rather live without the plane? Yeah, or you I ra- think so. Okay. Because I think things would be wildly different without standardized shipping.
1: I agree. I mean, we talk about supply chain issues today. Could you imagine if
2: if we didn't have standardized shipping containers? Well, there wouldn't be supply chains. Everything would be be focused on locality. Oh, yeah. It it, it would have hastened globalization.
3: Maybe things wouldn't be so bad. Maybe we'd still have a manufacturing base in this country. We wouldn't manufacture everything from medicine to cars to all of our electronics on the other
2: side of the world and ship it over here. Everything yeah. would be more expensive. And but we'd also might need or want fewer things. So mm-hmm. but yeah, the airplane, because
1: yeah. I think I think we could adapt to life without the airplane pretty well. I, I think. I mean it's super important, but did it for most of human history. Yeah. So <laughs> it's interesting. Um all right next one would you rather live without television or the tv which was invented in 1927 by philo farnsworth who was born in utah uh, but um, got the idea for television when he was living in rigby idaho working on a potato farm Um, but it was invented in 1927 by philo farnsworth or would you rather live without social media um, which is, in my estimation, invented in 1996 um, by Andrew Weinreich, uh, who created the website called Six Degrees, which is credited as the first true social media hmm. website. Interesting. I
0: First of all, Philo Farnsworth, I feel like that's a name we should know because the TV is a pretty big deal. It just blows my mind that that's not a recognizable
1: name. So for my job, I, I have a site up in Rigby, Idaho, and they've got a museum Uh home of the television, like the television, like (laughs) they love them. They love them some Farnsworth up there in Rigby. So (laughs) that's cool. You ever get a chance, go see it, I guess. But okay, so
3: so we're talking about do we want to get rid of the thing that was worst for humanity from the sixties through the eighties, or the thing that's worse for humanity now? Yeah, Um, yeah, I'm putting you in a weird spot. So which? Yeah, no, I'm, and you know what? I at first I was. All set to say no, kill the TV, no problem at all. I mean, it seems like the less TV I watch in my life, the happier I am. And then you you came at me with social media. Uh, There's there's no doubt I'm getting rid of social media. Um, I I could do without either one of them. I find, in my personal opinion, social media to be more destructive on micro levels, macro levels. What it does, you know, Instagram and young women and just People trying to keep up with people that they don't know who are lying to them anyway, and just what it does to society on a large scale. Uh, I think it contributes to further separate separation, further polarization. Um, So, anyhow. You
1: know, well, based and, on
3: that, I'm I'm definitely opting to get rid of social media.
1: And let's give let's give TV a little credit here, because one of the great things about TV. So again, we're going back into the way before times, the 80s and 90s, and when, up, kids. When you would have a show, for example, Seinfeld, the each weekly episode of Seinfeld would come out the next day. Everybody at work or school or whatever it is, they would talk about that episode. Right? You'd have that water cooler conversation about the big sitcom. Um, the Office was kind of the last great sitcom to be able to capture that kind of mystique. But now, with everything streaming and and all these you know um, web based services everything you know netflix releases entire series in one day um so you don't have that like same weird community vibe that you would have you'd go watch tv at home and then you'd go to work and you'd talk about what you saw last night or mm-hmm. you would um sunday night football or monday night football would have that same impact um that you don't necessarily have with social media cuz social media is constant and everything and yet somehow nothing um that's a
0: good call so so jake i have a question for you specifically Mm -hmm. for years you know i've been trying to turn you on to the show breaking bad and you have absolutely refused yeah on on what grounds i'll never understand but my here's my question it was too close to home
1: it was about a renegade science teacher (laughs) and it just i just it kept cutting too close that's that's why why.
0: i should have thought of that sorry what were you gonna say so here's my question would it have been easier or harder for you to take that stance if that was simply on NBC or, or just television.
1: So we have like the farmer five. So it's one of three or five stations that you can watch. Right. Ooh.
0: five. So circa 1982, you know, are you going to, are, are you going to stick to that stance?
1: You know, it probably would have been harder. I'll, I'll say it probably would have been harder because uh. it would have been by lack of options. I would have been, more tempted yeah i mean what am i gonna do read a book i yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know yeah read it would have been book, like it, it would have been harder because there was just less content to yeah to view and so you were by by choice you're by lack of choice you would have watched what everyone was watching whether you liked it or not so yeah it would have been definitely harder mm. all right um well that's all i got for for my would you rather questions i believe eric though has a last little segment on sports that he'd like to pose to us but we have no idea what this is so eric take it away
2: um so yeah i i i like to restructure things i like to tinker with uh the way sports have been structured especially the professional sports and the nba playoffs started this weekend and i have one Here's what I believe. I believe all conferences should be eliminated. They're the dumbest thing in the world. There's a no reason, or we have to still pit AFC versus NFC in the final game because you might not get the best two teams. There's no reason there needs to be an East and a West conference in everything else. There's no reason in baseball you need an American League and a National League. And don't give me the like the I don't know designated hitter like that's just can you just standardize your rules please? I believe they have. So you don't need those conferences anymore. You don't need the leagues like it is one league, whatever. So the NBA playoffs starting. uh, I just they should just seed it one through sixteen. We know they need fewer games. They're at eighty-two games right now. If you just went to no conferences, so you play everybody in your division four times it's 16 games you play the other 25 teams twice it gives you 66 games you have fewer games in the season and then just seed it one through 16 if we did that this year here's what it would look like you'd have the suns playing the hawks one versus 16 you'd have the grizzlies versus the cavaliers two through 15 and this is without the play-in tournament which i love because the clippers got eliminated um so everyone from LA has gone home. So happy about that. Uh, you'd have heat at the three seed versus the nets at the 14th warriors at the four seed versus the 13 seed bulls. Then you got uh, fifth seed Mavericks versus the twelve seed Timberwolves, six seed Celtics versus the eleven seed nuggets. And a lot of these are cross conference. These are East versus West teams. Not all, but I think it's good. Uh, Bucks seven seed versus the Raptors at 10 seed and 76ers versus the jazz. Um, I just think it would be interesting. I think it would be better. Um, Always having someone from the Eastern Conference versus Western Conference. Oftentimes, conference semi or conference finals are better matchups than the finals. Not always, but oftentimes. So, first of all, who has beef with the Clippers? How can you be mad at the Clippers?
1: Oh, because they hurt. Didn't they break Devin Booker's nose last year?
2: I don't care about it just uh <laughs> as soon as these playoffs started and i started watching other teams that might contend against the suns i started hating all of them i just <laughs> i can't I, I i watched the timberwolves play and i'm glad that they beat the clippers And no, patrick beverly's on the timberwolves so i'm just like oh i hate this team i really can't stand this team and i really don't like pat beverly so <laughs> you yeah. I really hate entertaining
0: fan ever.
2: <laughs> Second point, the, the the the
3: the 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 conference and divisional system that we use is full of rich and beautiful
2: tradition. It's antiquated. Okay, but, yeah, but there's one thing antiquated is, I'm not saying there's, don't have divisions. I'm saying the conferences don't serve a purpose. Keep the divisions. Why, why have Same divisions thing with the NFL. If you don't have
3: conferences.
2: Because divisions are like have your close geographical rivals in it. I mean, to, to follow
3: this through, you should reseed the entire NFL every year so that you don't ever so you don't have the Chiefs playing the Patriots until the very end. Sure. I think it's sure if you're, two best think teams if you're too bad.
2: You're out of control AFC, go for it. <laughs> Listen, if the NFC can't put up anybody who deserves it and they're just gonna get clobbered in the Super Bowl then, yeah, have them lose, it, lose in the semifinals. You know,
0: my problem with that is fairness is not always a <laughs> good thing in sports. You know, we're always trying to get, oh, everybody's absolutely fair. And sometimes you get an easier road. Sometimes you um back your way into the finals. Like, I don't know, the Suns did last year due
2: to oh, injuries. Oh. Just saying. Ooh, hey, listen, know? being healthy is part of the game. You can't stay healthy. Don't play. Well, and it's obviously clear the
3: Suns shouldn't have been there. I mean, they
2: were they were outmatched that, anyhow. It's <laughs> possible, but I mean, nobody else could manage to keep a healthy team. Even with all the load management they did all season. So nobody uh, was healthy at the end. I That's think not the Suns' fault. The,
1: but I think the it is fair. It's just because the rules, it's not like the rules are new. It's not like the seeding is new. Every team knows this is what I have to do to make the playoffs. So it's fair in that regard. It's just people say it's not fair when, oh, well, we have a better record than that eight seed in the other conference. So we should have made the playoffs. Like, well,
2: why are the Clippers not in? Because Paul George tested positive the day of the playing game on Friday night. Okay. It's possible. Would that have changed if there were no conferences? No, 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 no. That was just kind of getting into the injury thing. I'm just thinking conferences are are outdated divisions. I think still serve a purpose because you have these opponents you're always competing against, but the conferences are just, they don't make sense anymore. I, I think that a conference
3: where you have East versus West, a geographically divided conference. I think that adds a lot of intrigue and tradition. To the game, I think the NBA benefits greatly from an Eastern and Western Conference. Um, the NHL also has regional divisions and conferences. It gets weird in the NFL where there's
2: a complete overlay and they're so laid over top of one another. I'll say that the geographical conferences make more sense than the American National Conference or leagues because you could end up with Rams Chargers in the Super Bowl, <clears throat> which a lot of people are going to be frustrated with, especially if you're on the East coast, same thing in baseball, you get end up with a Chicago, Chicago world series. Right. Yeah, so that's, what if those are the best two teams? Good for them. I mean, I'm, I'm just, so, so that's where I think, I think divisions are fine. Why not get rid of conferences? I think it's just, it's a, it's an unnecessary barrier to your best teams playing at the very end. I think, I think that one I of the reasons they, they for the
0: conferences back in the day too, was, was travel. That's obviously sure. less of an issue yeah. today, but yeah, there's something we said to refer tradition too. Jeff. Yeah, I, I cut you off. I mean, I, I, no, I, I, I,
3: I just think that, you know, I mean, it's like you were saying, Cameron, you have some conferences are the way they are because of you had competing leagues merged together Mm-hmm. And all that stuff, and and I just think over time, I think it's turned into like I, I don't like it when teams change conferences. The uh, mm-hmm. Seattle Seahawks used to be in the AFC West, and now they're in the NFC. And I well, don't that know, was just, part of a
2: that was part of the realignment, right? Yeah, it was part of a realignment, right. and exactly.
3: And I think I it was a like good it, realignment
2: so. overall because what it do it made everyone have four teams in every division, made everything kind of equal. You had parity. You didn't have this odd kind of like 16 teams and 14 teams that was good for the league. This is just a realignment that I think would be good. Plus, I mean, if there's ever a good reason to do something, it's because we've always done it that way. I love that. Well, I I hear what you're saying, but one, we've always done it this way, but I'm with
3: Cameron. I I think it adds a lot of history and tradition to the game. I, I think you start taking all this stuff out in the name of, fairness or what's the point point? and I, I think that the leagues suffer if you get rid of that. I personally believe that I, I, I hear what you're saying about mathematically, it makes more sense. I think you lose a lot of drama and tradition and I think it would be a net negative personally.
1: Well, and I think in the NFL, their solution is not get rid of the conferences, which used to be two separate leagues, but they expanded their wild cards. So they just expanded the seating and said, this is our solution. It might not be a perfect solution, but it is a solution. It adds a little more parity to the playoffs um, than a loaded. At the end of the the year, the best team always wins. You know, the
0: best team. It may not be the best two teams in the finals, but the best, most
3: deserving team wins the championship. Yeah, the Bengals can get to the Super Bowl. Nobody thought the Bengals were winning the Super
1: Bowl. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's another thing is, at least in football, watching conference championship games are so friggin' exciting because you have that history there. Yeah, so if
3: it wasn't the conference championship weekend and it was just the semifinals weekend, I agree. I don't think that's – I don't think it's as entertaining. I don't think it's a huge hit, but mm -hmm. I prefer it – I think I prefer it better this way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Prefer it better. I think I prefer it this
1: way. But for the NBA, let's do it. Let's go one to sixteen. No conferences, because yeah, it was really. And what's the point of having a play in
3: game at the ass end of a, yeah. a run oh, of teams? I mean, I what a that. joke! You're going to play in to be the eight seed, the seven and eight right. seed. When right. was the last time a seven and eight seed did anything like like the Nuggets? I think they beat who they beat the Sonics yep. in the '90s mm-hmm. as an eight seed, and then they took the Jazz to to Game Seven,
0: and that was great. But there so was no way they were going. That was anywhere. thirty years ago.
2: There's an argument. When was the last team and last time an eight-seed beat a one seed? When was the last time any even a seven seed? I think that's happened more recently, has beaten a team, especially in seven games. Well, in the NFL, it's not unusual for a wild
3: card team to win the Super Bowl.
2: No, that's not unusual, but there's one game. So the NBA, you have a seven game series in your first round. So that's where I'd say another restructuring I would do is go back to the five game first round.
0: Yes, I agree because with that.
2: Cuz then you get some upsets. The Suns were number 1 in 1993 and the Lakers got up on them 2-0 in the first round. Hmm. And that was famously Paul Westfall said, "Well, we're going to we're going to have to go there and win on Thursday, we'll we'll win there on Saturday and then we'll come back here and win it all on Tuesday." And then they did that and then the Suns went to the finals and lost to the Bulls. So but the five game series allows for those upsets. I yeah. think
1: what we need to do is get rid of all of this. And we have a selection committee of sorts and that selection committee meets behind closed doors. They assign a certain number of points to each team and uh, you get like a former secretary of state to be on charge of it. And then <laughs> what you do is they, they tell us who deserves to be in the playoffs based on their That's own. That's a harebrained idea. Their own cryptic like mathematical I'll, I'll formula. Tell you, just add four to, teams, though, right? Yeah, just four. Only four. <laughs> Let's
3: add this to the list of things that Europe does better than America. And I love America. But in the English Premier League, if you suck bad enough long enough, you're out. I love this idea. I love, I love relegation and promotion because <laughs> there's no reason the Buccaneers should have been in the NFL for as long as they have been. They've been <laughs> pretty good here lately. They should have been gone a long time ago. And we should have brought in Alabama or whoever else we were gonna promote at that point. But yeah, I agree. I love relegation. Like if you're just so bad for so long, because then you get, I mean, you get organizations like I'm sorry, Eric, but like the Arizona Cardinals, like yeah, you're right, or or the Colorado Rockies, like they they treat their fans terribly. They they don't deserve to be in major league baseball, in my opinion.
2: I'd love relegation, the problem. Is structure right? So, in the Premier League, the Premier League is its own entity, and the clubs are invited in. In Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, those clubs all own—they own the league. The league, uh, so yeah. hard to kick him out, but I'd all love right. to.
3: I just well, want let's... to see the Savannah Bananas in Major League Baseball. Their dance, dance moves and... are incredible. Yes, They're, their whole shtick is incredible. Yeah. It's the most excited I've been about baseball in 10 years they should get Just extra watching. runs for how good they do
0: I like, mean, is that the clip that i saw where the guy's bat was on fire yeah yeah that's so, cool
3: know, yeah, there's one other team in savannah called the party animals and they wear like the 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 tuxedo t-shirts and they're awesome and they, they have their <laughs> own set of rules when they play it's called <laughs> banana ball and i don't know all the rules but one of them is if a fan catches a ball that's you're out. right
0: so That's right. There's stuff
3: like that. There's incentives to have a, an inning be as short as possible, so the ball is just going back and forth between the catcher and the pitcher. And they're strike one, strike two, ball one, ball two. You're out. And you get you get the next guy. The guys come up. They introduce themselves. They carry a microphone into the box during the play up music, and then they toss it back. It's a lot of fun for for a sport That's that cool. needs some new ideas and some fun. I can't think of a sport that needs more fun injected into it than baseball, but the bananas are awesome and they sell out every game
1: huh i'm down yeah all right well let's wrap this up so thank you guys so much for joining us for tonight's episode about history i hope you guys all enjoyed it as much as i did and uh make sure you like subscribe follow us wherever you get podcasts and uh thank you so much and have a great day in history see y'all next week